Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting from the Oilfield Expert Studios. Oilfield Experts, where you get the right products right now. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto. Today, we have a great show lined up for you. We're going to be joined by Mike Howard, who is the CEO of Howard Energy, an amazing midstream company. But first, I'd like to talk to you about State of Energy. For quite some time, we've been announcing our State of Energy in Corpus Christi, in which uh, we were going to have quite a few great and excellent speakers and panelists. However, unfortunately, due to the coronavirus, we have decided to postpone our State of Energy event in Corpus sometime in the fall. So if you were planning on attending, we still want to have you come out and join us and learn all about what's going on. I'm sure we'll have a lot more to discuss. However, right now, due to the virus, the coronavirus, we felt it was best to put it on hold. So be looking out for more information on State of Energy. If you don't have information, please feel free to go to shale, S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com and get more information. I'd also like to welcome you Teak, Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. It's basically an organization that is designed to help you grow your business, brand your company with other oil and gas and companies that are selling in oil and gas. So I encourage you to join our organization. We have plenty of mixers, luncheons, and events such as the State of Energy, in which you can network, meet other business owners just like yourself, and grow your business. Once again, if you want information on TEAK, Texas Energy Advocates Coalition, please go to txenergyadvocates.org. Again, that's txenergyadvocates.org. And now it's time to welcome on the editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome to this week's show. Hey, it's another beautiful day in Texas. It is, but doesn't it seem like we're kind of on two wheels right now, uh, if you will, with just how crazy things are going, this coronavirus, oil prices? It seems like... Uh, but still, there's no better place to be if you have to go through this. At least we're in Texas, and you know, there's no better place than that to be. There you go. And I guess the only point I was wanting to say is stop panicking, because this is getting ridiculous. <laughs> so it really is. I'm still trying to understand what the toilet paper stuff is all about, uh, but maybe somebody yeah, will explain it to me. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about... Um, now, we've talked many, many times about oil and gas, the industry, the benefits to the economy here in Texas, and you are right. This is the best place to be because of our great economy. Um, but now it appears that we're going through some painful contraction. Talk to me a little bit about the negative impacts that we will be seeing in the economy with the price of oil dropping and tumbling to what? $30, yeah. It's, uh, it's not good. It's uh, So, you know, that will all begin with uh, negative impacts to state tax collections and local tax collections. You know, both state and local governments get to tax the industry, and at the state level in particular, those taxes are price sensitive. So mm-hmm. any reduction in, in the price of oil or natural gas, you know, uh, negatively impacts those tax collections. And because the, the oil and gas industry, gosh, just last year, uh, the oil and gas industry poured $18 billion into the, the state government here and, and local governments in Texas. And so... You know, there's going to be a negative impact there. It will, uh, the rainy day fund will take a hit because oil and gas service tax funds the rainy day fund. And, 
you know, that will impact the overall budget picture for the state government. Um, and, and it's not just, you know, reductions in taxes collected directly from the oil business because the oil industry supports all these other business sectors, uh, convenience stores, grocery stores, uh, restaurants, you know, all of that uh, Start ends up being affected. supported. Yeah. Right, and particularly in the rural areas of Texas, mm. you know, and, and, and the parts of the state where the industry is real active in drilling. So, and if it keeps you know, going it, and getting really bad, do we also start seeing then hiring freezes and potentially layoffs for like our teachers and our law enforcement sure. EMS? I mean, you know, if it I think it goes on for a while. Yeah. yeah, I think people, you know, don't really think that it affects them because they're seeing in the news, you know, marathons cutting and Devon and you know the list goes on and on and on, and it doesn't affect them. They're enjoying these low prices at the pump. It's like, I really wouldn't think that way. You, you need to think bigger. It's going to affect you, too, somewhere in here. Uh, I promise yeah, you. A good way to think about that is, and I've, I've said this many times on the program and written about it, is there's been numerous studies over the years that have indicated that every dollar in capital spending by the oil and gas industry results in 3 to $4 of additional economic benefit to the community. Mm-hmm. And the reverse of that will be true for every dollar that gets cut out of these drilling budgets and other capital dollar budgets for the oil and gas industry. It's going to take that many more dollars out of the economy. It's going to impact everybody. It's going to impact goes everybody. On for yeah. a long time. And you know, yeah. it's you know, you know, just specifically talking about Houston, and I you know, love Houston. That's where our um, you know one of our main studios is at is in Houston, iHeart. But first of all, it was Sarah Week. Now the Houston Rodeo. I mean, these are going to have impacts. The oil company is going to be laying off, laying down rigs. It's not going to be pretty for Houston here. But hopefully, this coronavirus gets we get a handle on it and we move on down the road. Let me switch gears with you and talk a little bit about the Saudis and the Russians. You know, there seems to be a little bit of some optimism uh, when OPEC. Plus met, which is Saudi and Russia. Russia chose not to. And by the way, we need to, do need to make a correction because we were discussing uh, last week that we really thought that Russia was going to agree to the cuts and they didn't. Is there optimism? Should we have a sense of that? Do you think they're coming to a compromise? If so, yeah. what do you think? You're like, eh. I, it doesn't look like it. No. Uh, um, you know, the signals coming out of Russia this week in particular are negative. And um, that they believe that any additional cuts in exports really won't do anything to solve the problem. And and frankly, they didn't believe that uh, they're, you know, the thing about Russia is, well, it's it's kind of a quasi-state industry there in Russia, although they do have several very large oil companies that are a part of their industry there. And and it's kind of a mishmash of government control and non-control, but uh, Rosneft and a couple of the other big companies there, you know, basically told the Russian oil minister that they just can't cut any more out of their exports and remain viable. Uh, at least that's what they're claiming. And and so um, Russia appears to be intent on just killing OPEC plus for now and reevaluating at their June meeting. So this is going to go on for at least the next three months. And um, that will have, the thing is, regardless of what gets decided in June, that's going to have impacts for months thereafter. Right. Um, Because it's a slow process to get back. Exactly. Yeah. So, 
No, I'm not optimistic there will be any compromise. Okay, and we did have one good piece of positive news this week. Kinder Morgan announced that it has the necessary permits in place to move forward with its Permian Highway natural gas pipeline project. And so what is left for this project? What do they still need? Well, you, you know, it's it, so it's in the early phase of construction, but it's not going to take that long to build it. Now that all the permits are in place, the right-of-way has been fully permitted, it doesn't really, it'll take several months to lay the actual pipeline after this year's long process in getting everything permitted and ready to go. And and that pipeline is still very much needed in the Permian Basin, even though we may see some actual reduction in production volumes over the next six to eight months in the Permian Basin. Mm-hmm. You know, there's still an awful lot of natural gas that's getting flared out there in, in that basin and a lot of gas that has no no home on a major pipeline to take it to market. So uh, it's a necessary pipeline, and, and it's good news for the state that, it, that it's going to get built. It'll just mean that much more natural gas getting to market and, and you know, producing benefits to our economy. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that, that, that wasn't the only piece of good news this week, but it sure was a bright spot. It was a bright spot. Tell me, how is the midstream, which, of course, is pipeline for our listeners, are they going to experience it as bad as the upstream? Do they feel this pinch as well, or are they one that's going to be shielded well, to yeah, some degree? Well, they'll feel the pinch, uh, particularly if there's a, any kind of a major reduction in production volumes, uh-huh. you know, uh, overall in the United States or in certain areas, because what will happen is if the production volumes, you know, diminish, then their line fill diminishes and they have open space on their line that's not contracted for. And and that generally results in them having to cut rates for transportation to, to attract more customers, which reduces their cash flow. So, yeah, but it'll take a while. It'll be months down the road before they see those kinds of impacts. You know, and then, then of course, uh, the ports. You know, we've already seen the Port of Corpus Christi, you know, announce that they're reevaluating their budget for the year because they can see that a lot of their customers are beginning to cut back on their own budget. So it, it just cascades all the way through the value chain of oil and gas. And, uh, you know, I mean, I still hold out some hope that this could be the coronavirus itself could be fairly short-lived phenomenon. But, you know, the impacts to global demand for this year are pretty much set in stone. And uh, uh, it's going to be a very bad year for the oil and gas industry in Texas. I think that that's, and in America, that's pretty much written in stone at this point. So the, the remaining question becomes how long it lasts and what would be the magnitude of overall the, the major impacts on the industry. Yeah. Well, let's hope that uh, we figure out how to stop this free fall that we're in and uh, are able to contain the the virus so everybody can get back to work. David, thank you for joining us this week, and I look forward to having you on the show next week. The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C., 
D.C. and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. Hi folks, Alvin Bailey here. Did you know Agreco is proud to sponsor In the Oil Patch Radio Show? Agreco has served Texas oil fields for over 10 years, supporting producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. They service everything from pump jacks with a single 200-kilowatt unit to massive gas processing facilities requiring 50 megawatts or more. Agreco is your dedicated engineering partner for diesel and natural gas generators as well as battery power solutions. Call Agreco today at 1-800-AGRECO. That's 1-800-A-G-G-R-E-K-O. Now it's time to bring on our guest today, Mike Howard, CEO of Howard Energy. Mike, welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thank you, Kim. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, it seems like yesterday we had you in studio to come in, and of course we covered other topics in our last show, but I thought it was really important to bring you back and uh, ask you if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about ESG. It obviously is an important topic as well as it's a timely topic. And so for our listeners who may not know what ESG is, briefly tell us what is the acronym? What does it stand for? So this is the acronym. It stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. And this is where um, people that are interested in socially responsible investing have targeted uh, this acronym uh, to able to to gauge how companies are doing and gauge how companies uh, are benefiting all their stakeholders. Okay, so you are a very seasoned executive who has really managed to you know move into being a CEO of of a very large midstream company. Before we get started in drilling down into the topic of this and getting your opinion as an executive on that, tell us about how you arrived at being the CEO of Howard Energy. What's your background? You've had a lot of experience in the oil and gas. Tell us a little bit about it. Thank you. I graduated as a chemical engineer. I worked uh, 15 years working for publicly traded companies, uh, some of them small, some of them very large. Ultimately, I became the president of a Fortune 100 company, a very large midstream company. And I left there 10 years ago to start Howard Energy. Uh, partners, which is a very long-term thinking, purpose-driven company. We've been in business now nine years. We have 340 employees. We operate in four states and uh, U.S. and Mexico. Is this a calling? Like, you know, do you believe it's Absolutely. in your blood that you Absolutely. just have to? I, I kind of agree with you. As I get to interview executives, all seem to have the same set of ideas that it's kind of who you guys are you see the importance of it you wouldn't do it you couldn't pay anybody enough money to do what you guys do in the way of it's just uh, something that you guys like have to do and it's the hardest thing ever done you you, it's hard to choose to do this uh, for money you have to do this for love of something and great that money comes along with it but it working in in any job has got to be purpose-driven otherwise it's miserable to go to work every day and I don't want to be miserable it, you know, it's the best job to have in the world when you love going to work and, and doing 
uh, what you do and you get paid to do it. And I kind of feel the same way. I, I love covering energy. It's an well, interesting topic. <laughs> Thank you. I want to get on the topic of, of actually why we invited you to come to the show and, and talk to us about the definition of ESG. Now, there are many different examples or samples uh, in different, I guess, business settings of what this means. In energy, break it down to me what really it means to you to be uh, environmental, social, and governance, which is ESG, and and also how important is it in the energy sector? Uh, so we might need to break that apart. But let's start with what is the real meaning of it in oil and gas? Well, first of all, if you're using other people's money, they want to know where that money's going, and they also want to know that you're going to make a return on that on that money. Um, in order to do that nowadays, you're attracting money from a lot of different places. A lot of European investors, Asian investors, Canadian investors uh, want to know that you have some sort of, of social responsibility. Used to, the way we used to think about it as a capitalist, as long as I made a return for my investors and the more return you made, the more they, uh, the more they invested in you. Okay. Uh, that's no longer good enough. But good companies have always focused on their employees. Good companies have always focused on the environment, always focused on their social responsibilities in the communities they operate in. They focus on the governance of their companies. This is not new. How we're talking about it is new. But capitalists that are returning shareholders to everybody that they do business with, their vendors, their employees, their customers, have always focused on ESG. It's just interesting now what we're having to do to attract money into our business. Uh, there is a, a, a group that is, uh, with the, with the uh, information they're giving us, is that oil and gas is bad, fossil fuels is bad. Let's show them how bad they are with their ESG scores being uh, so low compared to other businesses that you should be putting your money in. So money has been leaving our industry here lately because yeah. of low ESG scores. Well, you know, one of the shows that we did in the past was with Deloitte, and everybody's familiar with Deloitte as far as you know what they study and the auditing company. But when we interviewed them at the height of Eagle Ford Shale, which was what about ten years ago, mm-hmm. I think Wall Street was giving uh, upwards of twenty percent to operators yep. and, and other sectors midstream down. And now I think they were in the ballpark of somewhere like three percent. That's right. Only so obviously this is having a huge impact. It's probably caught the eye of every single operator uh, executive of how are we going to continue to attract money and so this is where this ESG is coming in and playing a bigger role do you think it just started from Wall Street or do you think it started from Europe bringing it in and and we finally have gotten a hold of it I mean I I feel like it's 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 a because we're so connected now Europe was definitely one of the uh, starting places of this uh, one of the ESG standards we use is uh, Gresby. You know, that's one of the the um, forms we have to fill out for our European investors, and that is our ESG form that we use uh, for them. And just a simple fact: you mentioned three percent of the of the U.S. stock exchange. If you were to add up the top one hundred oil companies, their market value doesn't equal the market value of Apple. Well, when we come back from break, we're going to get ready for break. I really want to break down how are you, Howard Energy, operating your company pertaining to this set of rules and how well has it been done? And of course, where does the industry need to go to be able, or is it even possible to regain investment coming back from Wall Street? You're listening to In the Wall Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. I'm Tracy Bentley, the CEO President of the Permian Strategic Partnership, an alliance of 19 energy companies located in West Texas and Southeast New Mexico. 
For the first time in history, our companies have come together with one goal in mind, supporting our community. In 2019, our first full year of existence, we committed more than $30 million to support six major initiatives, built partnerships with dozens of community stakeholders, and helped secure an additional $1 billion in state and federal funding for roadway improvements in the Permian Basin. By partnering with local leaders, we will continue to work hard to make roads safer, improve schools, upgrade healthcare, increase affordable housing, and train the next generation of workers. Because we don't just work here, we live here, and neighbors are supposed to help each other out. For more information, go to permianpartnership.org. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three- and six-person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha Source side-by-side owner study. We're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Mike Howard, CEO of Howard Energy. Mike, before the break, we discussed what is the meaning of ESG, which is environmental, social, and governance, and what does it mean to the energy industry? Thank you for giving us your insight of what you believe it means to the energy industry. Now, let's drill down and let's talk about how much of this ESG is influencing Howard Energy and you. How do you run your company pertaining to ESG. You know, when we started our company in 2011, uh, gas, natural gas prices were at some of the highest we had seen. Uh, it was higher than $6. Oil prices were probably over $100. In nine, those were the days. That's right. Those were the days. In nine years, we have stayed in business and surpassed uh, market returns for our investors. Excellent. Um, we've grown from five employees to 340 and we've been through all these cycles in nine years. Now natural gas is sub $2, oil is sub $50, and we've seen them, both of them go lower uh, than that. So, you know, in order to have a great business, you have to be able to attract great employees. You're not gonna do that if you're not socially responsible. You're not gonna do that if you're not environmentally responsible. You're not gonna be able to stay in business this long with we have outside investors. This was not Mike Howard's money that started this company. I use third party investors. And some of those investors in the past have been very large publicly traded companies. So they are investing in me. And so we've had to act like a publicly traded company. We've had to conduct ourselves in a way we can't just be a small fly-by-night, short-term thinking operator. We have to be a long-term thinking operator. And that is what differentiated us. And so when we talk about ESG today, we've always thought of ESG. We may not have called it ESG. You know, we didn't say environmental, social, and governance. Even though we started seeing ESG in the media back in 2014, it really didn't hit the U.S. and stuff till really in the oil and gas business in the last year. Now you see so many companies 
private and publicly traded having to produce ESG reports, which is really confusing because if they're a good long-term company, they were already doing those things. They may not have been talking about it this way, but if you're going to return consistent long-term value to your shareholders, you have to be thinking about these long-term ESG issues. The metrics on what this is. Can you go a little in, in detail sure. to what those metrics might look like? For you so guys? let's pick one of them. Let's pick uh, environmental. Uh, what what we get audited hundreds of times a year from regulatory agencies from Pennsylvania to New Mexico to Texas to Oklahoma to Mexico. So every agency you can imagine audits us numerous times a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we report on that. We report on on our in anything that goes on with our in you know notices of violation. Uh, we talk to our board about that. We report uh, between our divisions on what's going on. So that would be our environmental sport uh, um, report card. With environmental is safety. We report on our incident rate. We report on our uh, preventable vehicle accidents, but we also report on all the positives and how many hours of safety training our employees go through every year, thousands of hours from the senior management down to the lowest um, um, job employee. We, we uh, have numerous training hours. Those are ways that we gauge ourselves. When you look at social, we talk about our community impact and every community we operate in and what we're doing in that local community to help not only local baseball teams and stock shows, um, but also what we're doing from a a philanthropy standpoint uh, with United Way in San Antonio and Bear County and many other organizations that we we operate with. And then finally on governance, um, we have some of the strongest governance because in our uh, governance, our investors have as much say so as anybody has as much say so as management. Management has a say has much say so as our investors. So if our investors wanted to be bad actors, management gets to say no. So we have a unanimous governance structure at Howard Energy, and that's all. Those are secrets to how we've been able to attract and retain top tier talent and be in business for nine years now. Very interesting. When we get back from break, as we go into the climate, because I mean this is obviously. Probably what our listeners are picking up is Howard Energy is a great company, but let's really drill into the environment. And, of course, you guys are just one company in a whole uh, area of, of an industry. So a small wanna, company. <laughs> right, a, well, small company by, I guess, looking at other companies. But I would say here in San Antonio, it's a great company, and it's a large company with 340 employees. When we get back from break, I want to get a little bit more into the environmental side of it. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Hey you, do you want to join the fastest growing oil and gas network in Texas? Ma'am, I'm all for growing my business. So you've got my attention. What is it? TEAK is the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. They hold business mixers to help businesses grow and network. Any cost to join? For the next 90 days, it's completely free. No charge to join. But they do want like-minded individuals to attend who are interested in growing their business and networking. Well, I want to join. Where should I go? Go to shalemag.com slash teak and click on the join link enter your information and we'll get you set up join the texas energy advocates coalition at shalemag.com slash teak today
We're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Mike Howard, CEO of Howard Energy. Mike, before the break, we were discussing the the core areas um, in which ESG looks at for investor purposes, but also just to have it, if you are an executive or a senior uh, manager, how important it is to have something similar like this if you're in the energy industry. And you know, the area of environment, obviously everyone is familiar with climate change. It's obviously been a very hot topic in the national debate and, of course, just uh, as all of us should be a good environmentalist. But can the energy industry do more, the global oil and gas industry do more to make energy uh, cleaner and use more resources in a way that are more sustainable and, and, and also cause less impact to the environment? And in this environmental uh, metrics that they're using in ESG, there's areas specifically that they're going to grade you guys on. Water uh, programs, VOC, methane, and CO2 admissions are all a part of this metrics that they're grading you guys on. Break those down, VOC, methane, and how is Howard Energy taking these different core metrics and incorporate them into your business? Good question. So we're focused on the E. You know, that's what we get a lot of um, uh media and and data on climate change and mm-hmm. the effects of CO2, VOCs, methane on the environment. And uh, I would lump, lump all those together if you hear greenhouse gas emissions. Those are GHG. So what happens is when you pull oil, natural gas, coal uh, out of the ground, or wood for that matter, um, or anything you're burning to create heat, um, it emits a certain number of uh, emissions, and that, that's where you get CO2, water, VOCs, uh, that sort of emissions comes off the burning of those things. And so we are uh, gauged off that on these ESG metrics on what we're doing to reduce the number of greenhouse gas emissions. And one of the interesting things uh, from a water perspective, uh, we get hit with water quite a bit on um, on the conversation, uh, water is a byproduct of oil and natural gas extraction, you know, and you have to dispose of it in a safe way. That's the brackish water. That's the brackish water. And uh, recycling has become more and more of a economical thing to do. And so operators are doing more recycling. We don't, we're not in upstream, we're in downstream. So we, what our business would be is to gather that water through a pipeline much better than trucking. Yeah. Um, Putting which in, is friendlier for the environment. Which is friendlier for the environment. And what's fascinating about this conversation is oil and gas extraction in the U.S. has become cleaner and better over the last 10 years than it ever has before. We're leading the world in how we extract oil and gas for the benefit of keeping utility bills very cheap and low. And our, our gasoline and diesel that we put in our cars and trucks is the cheapest probably on the planet in the United States. And we're doing that in the most environmentally friendly way. Um, we don't hear that a lot in our uh, business. We, we get vilified. Uh, but, but when it comes to this ESG stuff, we are uh, gauged by this and we're starting to talk about it more in a language that people are able to understand. Uh, but I think it's very important not just to talk about the bad, but we've got to talk about the inherent good of what we're doing. What do you say to the governance part of it where there seems to be this belief that uh, executives get these executive compensations, you know, they have their golden parachutes and private jets. And I don't necessarily know, while they evaluate this in a metrics, I've been doing this for seven years and I haven't really met too many of those executives that kind of represent that. 
But it is a metric that they're looking at that kind sure. of makes you guys stay within a certain realm of uh, what's expected in the way of your pay. Talk to me a little bit about that. How do you see the energy industry, the executives are dealing with that? What we see and what the public information is, all the things that we're- Two mentioned. different things. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Our, our, our publicly traded companies and what's what's going on there. I would say that in order to be on the New York Stock Exchange uh, or NASDAQ, you have to have independent board directors. And so you, you are probably governed a certain way. Now, in order to attract a certain amount of talent to your organization, if you want that kind of leader, uh, those are pay packages that are uh, competitive. I'm a private business. And so my pay is set by my investors. Uh, mm-hmm. They're the ones I don't get to vote on my pay. They they get to vote on my pay. Now, in order for me to do what I do, they have to be able to attract me. Right. <laughs> and so because um, you definitely have a value as well. That's so. correct. That's correct. I, I can. Uh, that's right. So, you know, that you hopefully are getting paid for performance at Howard Energy. We've always had ESG metrics in our pay compensation for all of our employees. We all have um, environmental health and safety uh, metrics that we're using. And in order to get the most pay that we can get is because we're returning the most value to all of our employees and our investors. And so we've had that performance, pay for performance for uh, since the beginning. You alluded to earlier your background. And um, if, if any of our listeners want to just Google you, Mike Howard, CEO of Howard Energy, they'll they'll understand some of the past employers where you've worked at, which kind of leads me into you're truly a very seasoned executive that there's probably a lot of this came very naturally to you from running publicly traded companies to bring it down into your own company and and how to run it in a way that would attract investors and would, of course, be a good company to want to work for if you have employees. But it seems like the energy industry as a whole has been really struggling with with this. And obviously, it's on the radar now with every a major company, and I'm sure there's probably a lot of independents that are figuring out uh, we have to figure out how to do this and how to do this properly um, to where they're not part of the dying breed that are ending up in bankruptcy. I want to get on the topic of what is the strategy that you think the industry needs to have going forward, and, and where are the weaknesses and the strengths that you think that they can focus on, that they need to focus on, if you had to give the other, your peer, your executive peers, um, some advice on how you've been able to, and let's break this down, in a time where energy is tough, the price, and, and how do you make a buck, how do you make a profit out of it, you've been able to do that, and you're a small company, but yet you're very nimble, it seems like, and you're able to really do wonderful things with it. I think your advice would go a long way with me if I was an, you know, an, an operator, uh, executive. So when we get back from break, I want to get on the topic, the strategy going forward that you would recommend. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Hi folks, Alvin Bailey here. Did you know Agreco is proud to sponsor In the Oil Patch Radio Show? Agreco has served Texas oil fields for over 10 years, supporting producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. They service everything from pump jacks with a single 200 kilowatt unit to massive gas processing facilities requiring 50 megawatts or more. Agreco is your dedicated engineering partner for diesel and natural gas generators, as well as battery power solutions. Call Agreco today at 1-800-AGRECO. That's 1-800-A-G-G-R-E-K-O. 
The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Thousands of women are breaking ground in energy industry careers every year, and 4,000 of them are already members of the Women's Energy Network across our 14 chapters. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Mike Howard, CEO of Howard Energy. Mike, our topic today has been a very important one. It has been on ESG and how the energy industry needs to be competitive in this area or needs to really focus on a strategy to be competitive in this area, especially if you're looking at capital or maybe it's just to maintain their license to operate, if you will. I want to get your opinion as, again, a very seasoned executive. The energy industry has started. This has started to take hold. We see a lot more uh, discussion on this. But first of all, uh, you've talked about how important it is in your own company, Howard Energy. What do you think the energy industry, the strategy needs to be when we talk about this specific topic Um, and words of advice that you might give to the energy industry and other potential executives that are listening? So let me be clear on something. You know, I, I graduated college 25 years ago. Uh, my family was not in the oil and gas business. I'm a product of public education. <laughs> and I started out in the field uh, in natural gas plants and then worked my way up until figuring out that I was being called to be an entrepreneur. And what I hesitate to do is pontificate too much on telling others what they should be doing, you know, uh, but I want to be able to lead by example. And so what, what I'm going to explain is maybe uh, my philosophy and, and, and what I've been able to do and what I see that other successful people that I hang out with, what they do is they, they see where something's going and they learn to evolve. They learn to get rid of their old ways of thinking and learn to do uh, their job better. Uh, they work on personal development. They work on leadership development. They, they, they evolve their companies to meet the changing needs of their customers because they have a product to sell and they're looking for customers that are wanting to buy it. Uh, a lot what we, we're fighting right now in the oil and gas business is an old way of thinking that we are producing a product that people have to buy. And so, therefore, we're going to act however we want to act. That's not every oil and gas company, but there are some out there that are looking for short-term spins, short-term profits, um, and not thinking about the long-term. What I have experienced and what I've lived is that companies that have a long-term mentality that understand they have to evolve to meet the changing needs of their customers, that they will, and if they don't change and learn to evolve, they will get disrupted. We've seen a lot of bankruptcies in the last 10 years. We've seen a lot of companies come and go. We've seen foreign companies come into the U.S. that failed because they couldn't evolve fast enough and they they weren't good operators. Uh, We need to continue to listen 
to our investors and learn how to talk in their language. You may be running the best company with, with low ESG scores, great returns for investors, but you end up going out of business because someone starts attacking you on flaring. So perception my, is my, really important. Perception yeah. is important. And so my, my what I've been kind of talking to peers about is learn how to talk in this new language. Learn how to attract millennials. Learn to have purpose in your company. Have company values. Have live your values. Uh, talk about your values when you're having conversations with people. If you only talk about returns on investment, uh, that is turning people off right now. Even though I believe returns on investment is what keeps investors coming to you and what pays employees' bills and what pays my bills. And so it's very important to make money. But it's also important to be socially responsible, to be environmentally responsible, to be safety responsible, to uh, notice climate change, to notice uh, the, the conversations that are happening and see what you can do in your business to do better. And what I believe is you'll get higher returns on your investment when you do those things. Well, you know, yesterday we attended a presentation uh, that you gave on a totally different topic, but uh, it was a luncheon. And uh, I have to say that your words really inspired me to understand and put things in a way that I could understand of really how important it is to look at the big picture. I think what the energy industry really struggles with as a whole is I think it's really good to see this. I'm actually, as an outsider, just kind of uh, reporting or interviewing on this topic to see uh, an ESG strategy um, that is taking hold in the energy industry, um, it's a good thing for me, but not because you guys really need to be regulated. It's more that in the seven years that since since I started doing this, I've seen the industry really get beaten up and pretty badly. And this is something that I think will help the energy industry in their perception of perception. how the general public looks at it and if if wall street started it and a european investor started it what what difference does it make the great point is is that it's managed to get the attention of the executives and and it really is a good thing for you guys to be moving towards of strategies and and how do you attract and retain better talent how do you do business in a way that's more environmentally friendly and how you guys go about collecting your salary and your paychecks is it in line with the rest of the staff nobody wants to go to work for somebody that's making millions and millions and 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 they can't get a pay raise right so i see the strategy as 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 really well i want to leave you with some final uh thoughts if you have any on pertaining to esg and howard energy yeah, well, so what I want to say is that that we are inherently good at at extracting energy from the earth for the benefit of others. The way the United States and specifically Texas is doing this, it's the least environmentally invasive way that we could bring flourishing to people to, to help people do what they do to help innovate, to help companies like uh, Apple, Microsoft, or any of the top 10 biggest companies on the planet the reason why they're doing so well is because we have cheap, affordable, reliable, abundant natural resources that were given to them to do their jobs to help people do better. And we need to take that further around the world. There's still three, three billion people living uh, without access to reliable uh, energy. They're still burning wood and dung. The environmental damage that that's happening by keeping those people alive versus what the environmental impact that we're having is much different. Uh, so I believe that this industry actually helps clean up the environment, not 
the context and what we're taught to think right now is that we're destroying the environment. Quite opposite. We're doing well because of the cheap, affordable, reliable energy that we're producing. And we're really good at it here in Texas and the United States compared to other places that produce hydrocarbons. Well, thank you for saying that because that was a lot of what you were discussing in the luncheon yesterday. And it is important to, to say all roads lead from oil and gas to wherever you are. And if we think about it that way, then we realize how really important the role is for oil and gas. And and can it get better? Sure, uh, to some degree. But we also need to really... We can do better, but without it, we all have... I don't even know if life is sustainable. So It's not. We, yeah. So we need to really think about how we uh, judge energy. And nobody wants higher utility bills, higher gas prices. So everything comes together. Mike, thank you for coming in. I look thank forward you. to having you join us again here soon. And I'm sure we'll have another great topic to talk to you about. Thank you. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.